right, guys, another episode. We are currently live. Well, this is not live. We are recording, but it's a very exciting episode. We have our first guest in a while. We haven't had a guest in a long time. And I'm really excited about this guest because we recently watched a movie with her in it. And Jamie and I, as we were watching it, we went through a lot of emotional growth and we worked at a lot of things about ourselves that we might not have been ready to confront. And it was fantastic. And the fact that we're able to talk with one of the funniest people on the show, on the movie we watched, I'm so excited. I can't even delay it any longer. I'm so excited to introduce our guest, Emily Cranking. You know her from Best Summer Ever. Emily, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm excited. I'm really excited you're here. I'm super excited as well. It's a major privilege to talk to you. No, no, no. I'm just a random, random person. Uh, it's a privilege to be on here. Because you, you do other podcast hosts. When you, so when you guys invited me, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because I love meeting new people. And being on a podcast is really, it's a really cool way to meet people. It's so cool how people are just so accessible now. Like, we just started chatting on Instagram. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we did. Because I was just on and, and doing Pandora's podcast. So, so I was the, so you two also listened to him. So when he came to me, it was like, oh my God, I love him. Mm-hmm. And when you guys, and just me, me, it's to you, to you guys, I was like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. So, it, so many guys we met through another podcast that we love. And hopefully, I make my own podcast sometime next year as well after oh. my surgery. Is that a Cripple Threat exclusive announcement that Emily might be starting a podcast? I actually wasn't into Andrew, but I've been thinking about it for a little while. And That's you know, amazing. as like my advocacy grows, and as I like read all these stories about disability worldwide and how they are like young leaders and how there is so much like chaos in the world, like. For example, in in Singapore, a a man with with different mental disabilities was nearly put to death because he sold weed. So they almost killed the guy. And it's like Jesus Christ, like, and that's never made to like national news. And there's like so much news. Like I read like every Sunday, and I make a newsletter about it. So basically, when I talk to these people who, like, make the world a better place for disabled people by being active in it. So, and I want to use my acting platform to use, the, to win all these worldwide issues mm-hmm. and help disabled people and meet the leaders of tomorrow. Well, you have a really interesting perspective because of, the fact that you have a disability, but you sort of get to peek behind the scenes into 
exactly like like we talk a lot about movies that's pretty much all we do on this show when we're not talking about buttholes apparently um and honestly like we we look at it from our perspective which you know we, we can watch it we can enjoy it and we can decide what we like and what we don't like based on our perspective but so much of our criticism is is blinded by the fact that we don't really know what goes on behind the scenes when they're making a movie and trying to decide like what is appropriate and what they should talk about and we can make criticisms but we are making those judgments in a vacuum because we don't know we don't know what you're going through on the other side of it when you know people are thinking should we emphasize this thing about disability should we not talk about it yeah, and Sino Martin Farm, who made my movie Best Summer Ever, which we wanted to talk about. Not only did they do a documentary of, of the movie, but a while back, back in the day, they made a documentary about those sort of movies, um, Bulletproof. And along with that, they did a documentary of a few people who are disabled. And behind the scenes, like, for example, there was someone from Sino named Judy, who sadly we lost right before COVID. She had, like, several palsy that affected her, all of her body. So she had to live with a nurse. So we saw how a nurse wakes her up, gives her her medicine, how she gets fed, and how much she loved, loved children. And also when we are mother, but couldn't. So she would get a baby doll that she used to carry around all the time. And like to like, as a self-esteem of a loving, weird child. And actually doing Best Summer Ever when we made the movie, my friend had a baby. So every time, like, the baby was on set, she would always carry around the little baby because, oh, my God, it's a weird child. And, <laughs> and, and you know, it's a big, like, relatable thing because when people with disabilities cannot have children. And, and you know, we also talked about, the commentary we talked about AJ and his cerebral policy and how much he does movie stuff while having cerebral policy. So, becoming a really group talks a lot about disabled actors, and I highly recommend that you check it out. Yeah, I don't even think we had heard of that before. But amazing. It is the movie that really convinced me to do Best Summer Ever because, of course, I was really interested in doing it, but I was like, you know, these were like random, you know, a random studios at a time. I didn't know like who they were and if I wanted to travel for a way to do um some movie that may not be big or not. And when I was documentary, I was like, okay, it's a weird movie studios, but it's also a weird camp for people with disabilities. So it's really legit. So yeah, that sure. so that like helped me a lot with my decision and actually on the way from home from my call back, my mom and I saw the movie on the Amtrak home. 
obviously we we're gonna talk about best summer ever. But and with that movie you you know, there's so much disability inclusion and representation, which is amazing and was exactly uh, what we needed when we were watching it because it it was so real and in your face that we, Jamie and I, ended up like having to confront some of our own demons, like live on the podcast, and that was fantastic. It was therapeutic in a way, but I was wondering like how how exposed do you feel like you were growing up to disability? Uh, as like a young kid. Yeah, I was really exposed. When I was three, along with my regular preschool, with my with my four siblings, I was also at a like preschool for people with disabilities that has like I talk about like our means of motion, our reading, our writing, and then when I started working at school. Before I went to my college school with my siblings, I had a special like school program. At the morning, it was regular school with the regular teenager, regular kids. But in the afternoon, it was like like OT thinking and the and speech therapy and so forth. And then when we got a little bit older, you know, I got to summer camp. Where well, like all these able people, and then when I got older, you know, my mom took me to like meetings, like special friends, like special Olympics, baseball, and like any any disabled event my mom found, she like signed me on to do them. So so my mom like supported me a lot as a disabled person, and it was really important to her. And my siblings as well to meet disabled people. So when when you were in kindergarten, you um, were in a program where they like integrated your occupational and physiotherapy. Is yeah that that, that sounds so cool? Like, I, was that a, a positive experience for you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because we were there together as a group mm-hmm. and. And when, when when we got older, when I got older, when I went to Catholic school, I would actually give lunch and mm. recess to mm-hmm. go to the school therapy. Or even I was going to Brenner's or Orcas. And at one point, I, they would actually come to me for like for therapy. So so my Catholic school, like anywhere I go, they were really supportive of me as a disabled person in my therapy. And actually, last night, my twin sister and I, my mom was talking about how much my mom was taking my siblings to therapy and speech therapy, and how often my mom would take them, and so on. And now my twin sister is a teacher for students with autism. So at times of my mom taking my sister to and my siblings to my sweet and my both events and so forth, inspired them a lot with their life, with their lives. 
it's like a um, an excellent uh, sort of role model in order to approach uh, teaching uh, more effectively with students who have disabilities or neurodivergence, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. So, sorry when you when you when you went to Catholic school that that was high school. Second grade to high school. Okay, and um, did you have like special accommodations in high school as well? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, for like going back and forth to class, mm-hmm. they was really understanding that I was going to be really slow to class. So they gave me a whole, they gave me a whole pass so I could get away with this. So when I was just like five minutes late to class, I would like show my boss saying, I'm here, I'm here on this, this April. And, and actually, Literally, after I graduated, they made an elevator. Oh, I was in like Catholic school, like my kids do, as I can do eighth grade. I had an elevator to the cafeteria and the library and stuff. But here I was walking about in the staircase. So when I saw the elevator, when I returned to, to school, I was like, really? Like, just as you're leaving, they do something to accommodate you. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But, but luckily for me, um, they were so kind. Mm-hmm. I have like, I have serious, um, much disabilities. Like, all I can do is add so, subtract, multiply the symbol, the like numbers, and divide simply. That's literally it. But alas, you know, you have to do multiple art for years. So what mm-hmm. they did was, um, for me and for me only, like I was in, you know, this girls learning disability program, which was absolutely wonderful they made me and only me a very like special math class so <laughs> i was the only one that learned free algebra so if i was in like algebra one or the or honors algebra one but here i was literally the only one in the whole school doing free algebra and I saw they, well, when I'm the regular classes, the rest of the three years, they let me, they, they, I was in the, um, the, the person that we needed to help with from math. So they let me and my class use plus cards during tests mm. and quizzes and exams. So even though I got zero in my test a few times, the flash cards really helped me do the math. So it's not just visual disabilities that need help. It's sure. learning. It's like learning styles. What's your weakness? And my high school was so, it's so supportive of learning disabled students. And I am very thankful for them. It sounds like it goes a long way toward, um, like eschewing like shame or just any anxieties that you might have about requiring accommodation altogether. My, my high school experience was quite similar. 
I I went to the Catholic board from JK to grade eight, and then I switched over to the public board because our Catholic school in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, was inaccessible. So my entire social circle um, was attending a different school, like entirely different stream, and I went off to the public board. And that at first was quite of an ordeal for me because before high school, I had a major orthopedic surgery. And then coming off of that, I had to enter this whole new environment without my traditional like social uh, network. Um, But then I encountered like a group of spec ed teachers and student support people and friends and um, like alternate uh, individual education plans that were so accommodating. And everyone was like, like on board and like a total lack of judgment. And so I had the same thing as you, like I was like escorted to class and it was sort of understood that I would be late and I need help carrying my books. And there were several subjects that I was also like, I clearly had some learning deficiencies with numbers. uh, I think has kind of have kind of carried me through academia. Like if I, if I didn't have math, I would have, I I couldn't get where I am now, but, um, what am I trying to say? Like I wasn't, for example, I wasn't uh, able to uh, get credit for gym. So in place of that, I had a, a, a student support person who would actually take me to the um, to a, uh, a gym in the basement of my high school that had older equipment with like a, a classic style leg press that I could actually use. And we, like we, you know, we got forearm crutches and a bunch of resources that I that I could. Uh, that I could leverage uh, to be able to maintain fitness, like mm. in parallel with my peers. So uh, wh- while I was in high school, I never felt like I was out of step, even though I re- required all these accommodations, like extra time on tests and uh, just like a general understanding that there were some things that I would need assistance with. And it just went so far uh, to, you know, like maintaining my my confidence and, you know, like a, a healthy high school situation it was just awesome like i'm very appreciative to all those people and, and what was your surgery only if you don't mind me asking um it, it was a bunch of procedures to uh i guess like maintain quality of life as i as i grew so like uh hamstring extensions like uh i broke and rotated my femur and uh, it, uh hip releases and then there it was like nine consecutive uh, procedures. So it took, it took six months to recover from fully. And, uh, I was remote learning the entire time. So it was good training for university (laughs) (laughs) and COVID. COVID. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My best friend from high school, you know, she has a chronic disability that like she, but I can remember she could like hardly move her leg. And during summer year, it flared out so badly. She literally missed out the whole second semester of of high school. So she had to like learn everything online. So I know what. So I so I know what that's like to be to like work online. I'm really glad to say that it definitely ate better with COVID and everything. 100% better. It's, I think it's made people realize that it's possible to function remotely and to include a variety of, of different people who would otherwise not be able to pursue those opportunities. 
And I see that there's a staircase behind you. So do you practice that? Yeah, it's actually something that I asked my dad. Um, <laughs> my dad is a, a passionate uh, woodworker hobbyist. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I live uh, on a core floor. Like, I was born with cerebral palsy. So was my my sister. We're, we're not twins, but somehow we both have the same... Uh, the same disability. That's so weird. <laughs> I know, right? It's bizarre. Um, but uh, my dad and, and my mom, they've been very active throughout my life, creating accessibility accommodations throughout the home and everywhere, basically. Like they, they've, uh, they're wonderful. Uh, and so I asked my dad recently because I lost access to physio uh, during COVID yeah. to make me a small stairmaster, like, you know, a, a disabled stairmaster. So I could try to maintain some some fitness throughout the uh, the pandemic. And so it's a regular source of jokes between Tony and I on the podcast. And how about you, Tony? What what is what are you like with therapy and and skin and everything like that? Uh well, similar to both of you. I mean I I, I was in the public school board the whole time, but the elementary school that was closest to me was not accessible. So I had to go to the second closest one, which was only, you know, like 30-ish minutes away. But then with the bus route, it was like over an hour every morning. Um, so I was like in a different group from all of my peers in terms of like the people I lived around. So all my neighbors would go to this other school and I would go to school with all the kids in another town because it was accessible. And I had physio, we've talked about it a bit on here, but like some really like makeshift physios with like my parents laying me down on ironing boards and doing weird stretches just like with whatever they could make work. Uh, I also remember doing physio in classrooms sometimes. Like I remember having uh, like a physiotherapist come to my like kindergarten or grade one class, take me out of whatever activity they were all doing, lie me down in the back of the classroom and just start like stretching my legs or whatever. And kids would like, watch but like not watch because they knew it was inappropriate to watch but they wanted to see what was happening yeah like they didn't even take me to another room they just lie me down <laughs> on the floor in the back of the class like right like on the art table or something yeah it was almost like this was the activity like they were just like and today for this period we will watch <laughs> anthony get his stretches yeah, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> makes you feel like a specimen eh on one hand, I was very self-conscious, and on the other hand, it made me like very open about my disability because I was just like, why? Because I, I was just, you know, having to basically say, okay, I guess I have to be okay with this because people are watching this different part of my life that they don't necessarily relate to. So I guess it was had pros and cons. And then when I went to high school, I remember. We, there was only one high school in the area. So like everyone from my elementary school that I went to and the one that all my neighbors were also going to went to this big high school. It was relatively accessible, except the science wing. 
the science wing had like a stair lift that would go up the stairs, but it was almost always broken down. And there was a way to get around outside. You could like go up and around through the driveways and get to the back. But I used it as an excuse to not go to physics or chemistry. <laughs> so, like I remember doing an entire, uh, I'm missing probably 70% of a physics course. And then just like looking through the textbook and taking the exams in the spec ed bathroom. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. <laughs> you're trying to focus and you people are flushing the toilet behind you. Oh, Luckily it was a private bathroom. <laughs> so they would be like, Can I go to the bathroom? I'd be like, occupied, and I'm just like writing, <laughs> writing like physics. <laughs> oh god, but no, that is still really awful. Did did you try to like wish you any um accent or Yeah, I was always pretty complacent as a kid, maybe even to some extent still, but um, I didn't really do anything. I think, if anything, I kind of liked having it as an excuse to not go to class. Mm. I was just like, oh, sorry, can you tell them I can't come to chemistry again because the lift isn't broken? And my my ear would be like the lift isn't broken, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, just tell him it's broken. <laughs> oh God! When I was in college, when I was a like graphic design major for like a year, oh. I was in uh, the elevator, and the art department was literally walking every other day. So you know, my backpack was you know. A running right back to like, cause you know, my back cannot take all the heavy books. Mm-hmm. So when I was a major, and when I did a screenwriting class for my minor critic writing, you know, the bike was always like, the elevator was always broken. So I had to wait for somebody to like either like walk me out the stairs and carry it. Oh, I had to do the very long walk, like see the next elevator. So that's really awful. And with with and, and with the I've you're still left. That is definitely not an excuse because if you're the only thing that uses it, that's not an excuse at all. Yeah, it's just it's clearly an afterthought for the building or for maintenance in general, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I had the same issue at my high school where there was a hydraulic lift like you couldn't call it an elevator because it was basically held together by sticks and glue and Mm -hmm. um and it it would take you to the basement where there was uh arts classes and uh tech and stuff uh so all things that are like our computer science class was down there as well um so i was there very often and the elevator would break down because uh, like Hammerschild was a football school and right. quite often the, the guys on crutches temporarily on crutches would use the thing and yeah. they'd fuck with it because they could, you know, they're kids. And so it would break down uh, every other day as well. <laughs> so the, the compromise for it uh, was eventually I, I got an SSP who frequented the gym quite often. And he was a young guy, like 26 or 27 at the time. Um, and he, he's like you and i are going to take the stairs we'll we'll do it slowly and we'll take our time 
but but we'll take the stairs. I mean, it was good uh, for my for my fitness, I guess, but it was also a completely tedious and unnecessary workaround. Where were your wheelchair though? Uh, well, I was, I used the K Walker around Hammershield because the distance, oh, okay. the distance from the spec ed room to my classes was usually manageable in the K Walker. But again, it was time consuming, you know, just like Emily. And it was understood that uh, <laughs> I'd be late wherever I went. I actually have one more like sorry for you. It's really wild. So the other high school that I went to, my father's high school, one of our top choices was my our big sister's high school, which is literally 10 minutes away from my own house. And they have an elevator. Well, you know, I went to my dad's high school. But during my senior year of high school, my sister's school's elevator caught on fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> So God forbid if I went there, <laughs> and I was like, like on the island at the same time. I would probably not be here right now. So go to the invisible high school of my father. But I saved my life. Elevator on Fire would actually be such a good name for like a disability <laughs> memoir or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it is a word metal rock band. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were in high school, you you took like screenwriting classes and stuff? Oh, no, this was in college. Oh, that was college. Yeah, my my major was communications and my mind was creative writing. And and I did like the BFA for graphic design for like two years. Well, no, 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 for a year. But I hated it, so I switched majors to communication. Was that your first introduction to the arts, or did you do anything in high school? Oh, no. Um, I did graphic design, and a long time I did like, theater since 6th grade. My story oh. is that I wanted to major in theater in college, and my college had a BA in acting, and a B of A, but the B of A using you had to audition for the B A. You had the same training, but you didn't have to audition. So I, that was my first, my college was my first choice because, hey, like, like you know, free training for acting because I had more siblings had like a free ride to. Um, college because of a scholarship that we got due to my mother being hurt while being a police officer. So, hey, we training. But when I finally got in, into my college, of course, sorry, the BA is now gone. Please audition for BFA. And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm stuck with what is time now. So. And plus, my mom and dad forbid me from like me to in theater because there was like no point to it. Yeah, I was gonna ask about that. I was wondering, like, acting is a tough gig to get into, and then how much of that is disability related when you go into it? Do you did you feel like your disability was gonna give you an edge, or did you feel like it was gonna be a hard thing to? get past when you're trying to be an actor? You know, back during, like, before first summer ever, 
before um I got in, you know, acting was nothing because no one cared about disabled actors whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until like my senior year of college where speechless would be on ABC. Right. And well, there's a there's a Broadway revival of a deaf production of Spring Awakening where, you know, oh, oh my, oh shit, there are actually disabled actors out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I still didn't know what I could do it. But, you know, not today where there is a lot more diversity in disabled, in disabled, like, movie, in the movie TV shows. I can say it's a mix of both. I've seen a hell a lot more disabled actors on TV and movies yeah. than I did in college or in like growing up. Like I saw like there's a show called The Sex Lives of um College Girls. And there's a actress in a weird show. Mm-hmm. And then in another show there's someone all about queer people there's a guy, gonna be a gay guy in a wheelchair. Then on another show, there's a guy in a wheelchair. And like every other week, in like new Amsterdam and the good doctor, with disabled actors. So mm. there's a lot more coming for disabled actors. So I say that it gives me an edge because I'm like, yeah. I'm not just, I'm not only a white, like a white girl. I'm also disabled, so it gives me an edge. But at the same time, when I apply to auditions on like backstage, oh, actors ask us, I get to down by the positions because I am disabled. So mm. there's like so much going on. I guess like I I do obviously I'm sort of like chomping at the bit to talk about best summer ever. Yeah, and it just seems like a good segue because. One of the things I loved about it is it's it's an obviously so many disabled people in that movie, so many that it's like it, Jamie and I were almost laughing at like like where are they? How can there be? There's never been this many disabled. They had every disabled person in the world to come here. Yeah, like there's no town with this many disabled people, which was hilarious to us, but also. What I loved about that is they didn't really address disability at all in it. Yeah, not in the narrative. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's it's kind of amazing how that affects like the tone and the vibe of, of the film mm-hmm. and how it sort of challenges your assumptions about the types of roles that disabled people like should be able to occupy, which is any role, ostensibly, obviously. Uh, but it's like um I didn't realize the assumptions that I was making about the potential for disabled actors until I watched your movie. Right. And it, it's like, it makes you confront that fact. Like it's not overtly written in the narrative. It's not heavy handed. It just is. So it's undeniable. You know what I mean? It's like very, very powerful. Yeah. You know, you know, when we met, we were talking about that the movie come as you all. Which we have so many feelings about, you know, how that did not cause any of the leads, like, as a, as a disabled leads. But literally in this movie, like, 
60, 40 in best summer ever. On 60 is disabled people. Like, literally, either it's a rumor of disabled people or every other person is disabled. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote on set, I didn't think, oh my God, I've never seen so many disabled people in my life in a, in a movie set. I never thought it was possible. And after that moment, I knew it was possible, but I didn't know if that was going to happen or not. Like if it would work? Like it would work, but if anyone would give like um, a damn about putting so many disabled people yeah. into one space. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like there, the um, uh, the genre of the film, like a uh, musical comedy is not also something you would associate with a disabled-centric film because there's no. there's a major physical element. And like not only that, but the tone throughout the movie is very uplifting. Like it, It's like in a very good headspace, you know? And the ensemble cast has chemistry. Like it seems like you guys know each other or you spent quite a lot of time with each other before like actual filming. And so there's, there is a sense of camaraderie there. It's just awesome. Like there's there's not an assumption that that film does not challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. We actually did have a lot of like time together because Cinemas and Vom is also a camp. So mm-hmm. when we were not doing movie stuff, we were like going around the town. We were like going swimming in the pond and eating ice cream and so forth. So we spent a lot of time together. Yeah, you can totally I, tell. I, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Did you know any of the castmates beforehand? Like, had, no. did you get there and you're like, oh, hey, it's you. <laughs> I actually um, only faintly know, knew Shannon because I remember reading an article, New York Times article, of like the best in theater. And then in the video was like an A of Broadway play. New York Times gave it one like he was one of the most upcoming talent of that year. So when I looked, when I looked her up, I was like, "Oh, it's that chick, good for her!" And I saw her like you know, and like difficult people and such. So I was like, "Oh, hey, it's good to meet you." And of course, I knew who Marky. Chan Hall was, I knew a Batman what, who I missed by one day. Oh, no way. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, you know, before I found the movie, I watched the um, documentary. So I knew most of the people before the before the movie so i'm like oh hey i saw you in the i saw you in the documentary i saw you you and you and you and you on it and like the main actors also of them i didn't know who they were and i met like only a couple of them the new york locals in my car back that june when you were uh on set how much of your input, like, was the script fully written? Did you get to improvise at all? Were you, like, did you get to consult on, on like, your lines or your role? Actually, when I 
when I got the wall, they decided to expand my wall a little, a little bit, bit. So when I got on, like you know, when I got there in Vermont, they were like, "Oh, hey, here's one more scene for you in the movie." Nice. And then they like, "Here's like the scene, and here's that scene." And as time went on, like they added more scenes and more songs. So we had like two more like retakes. So they added like one song. And they are, and they gave me room to like improvise. Like for example, um, body alert when I hit the cheerleader bed with the doll. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me improv with my reaction. So I, I had all these kinds of takes of my face before, like saying, "Let's get the hell out of here." So they gave me improv. And in the, in the original take, um, Sage asked me, how did they know I was here? So I guess like, it was like different answers to Shannon in the original scene. So I said, you don't know my life. Oh, I'm a secret ninja. Damn it. Like this, like that. So I love like a couple of times I got to improvise. One of the funniest scenes in this entire movie. I think was, it's the funniest scene. It's by the way. probably the funniest scene. <laughs> we watched it, Jamie and I, the first time we watched it, we watched it like five times. And then we watched the movie again just to like refresh because it had been a while before talking to you. And when that scene came up again, we probably watched it like eight more times. Awesome. Awesome. And the scene I'm referring to is where you get your arm slammed in a door. It is so funny. It's so like slapstick, but also it looks like you actually broke your arm. Like it looked so convincing. And then your reaction afterwards is so funny. We had a really great, like, set, like, fight choreographer that directed the camera over to her head and went to, like, one, went to, like, keep the door in and so forth. And, you know, along with my cerebral policy, I have OCD where I got to. So my body report every time the door opened. So it took literally 22 takes. Oh, my God. Because of my OCD, it's like, I know I won't get hit. And my body won't, like, come away. So it took me, like, two times to do it. And my actually, when I had my car bag, the original thing was for me to climb a ladder. Then to, then best, like, push me off the ladder. But you know, doing but then I go back, I was like, ah, I no. cannot do that. So they were so great to accommodate me by rewriting that scene. So that's the thing about accommodation. You need to accommodate yeah. and, and push up. 
and I got to improvise on the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the best. It was so good. It's like so drawn out. And then at the end, you slowly drop to your knees. I it's, know. Oh, it's so funny. I'm so glad that they, they accommodated you. Uh, first off, because, you know, it shows the flexibility that's necessary, yeah. you know, to create something worthwhile. And also that constraint like produced the best scene in the movie, like in terms of humor, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So like, it's so awesome. Yeah. This is, Nancy is why, you know, I want to do comedy and drama in my career, but that's why I love to do comedy because to bring people joy and it's just so much fun to do comedic stuff. So when I got, when I read the why in the script, I was like, oh, this is going to be so much fun because I can be as ridiculous as possible. Yeah. And still be natural. I also love how the movie treats it because it's like, I, I've been saying to Anthony over and over uh, in the podcast is that there there's not enough humor in, in disabled disability-oriented cinema, and in particular, is not enough slapstick. So yeah. acknowledging that just because we have physical limitations, it doesn't mean we can't participate in roles that have a degree of physicality. And so, wow. yeah, so that slapstick is like, is awesome because, you know, like Mumu, I think her name is the, the yeah. actress, she slams your arm. And then in the subsequent scene, she like goes over to Shannon DeVito and she's like, like Nancy uh, died or something, you know, like it, she's very cavalier about it. And the fact that you got hurt <laughs> and it like totally, it like contributes to her role as the villain, but it's also very, very funny. It's like, Nancy's dead. And that's it. Like, she's like so chill about it. Yeah, she's so great. I actually saw an open call to a music video the other day. So I was meaning, I've been meaning to like send her that screenshot and say, look what I found. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you know anything about Xeno Mountain Farm before filming this? No. No? I think I, oh, that's why I was so hesitant about doing the movie at first. Because I was like, all these people, why would I go so far away to be an actress? And you know, it, it's quite the movie as a movie camp. So I was like, is this a weird movie? <laughs> and it made me camp a fancy term for like a movie? Or is it like a summer camp where you make a movie for your grandmother? Right, 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 right. A mix of both. <laughs> and now we on Hulu. So yeah. always take that risk, you guys. Because you never know where where we to go in your career in your movies? You were saying earlier that your your parents were like actively dissuading you from pursuing acting like as a like a like an educational option. Oh yeah. So since all of this like visibility and exposure and stuff, have they changed their mind about your potential at like career as an actress? No. No. and <laughs> <laughs> even though. I got into work doing DC, wanting me to send it over my resume. After my play last week, she's really doesn't want me to do acting whatsoever at all, which is really, like, really frustrating. But I'm telling her, let's see what happens, because, you know, 
I got some I got invitation to edition for a show out in a really big theater in Maryland. So I, I got invitations for more theaters. So let's see what happens. The, it, things are definitely happening. That's oh, really yeah. awesome. Especially, yeah. And I'm very, I'm very blessed because I, like I told my mom, if I was an actress in 1994, the same year I was born, I would have fed spectacularly because there were definitely still actors in movies and TV. <laughs> and Jennifer <laughs> Lewis won an Oscar to play Gabriel Posse, where we were white over here. So I don't know why now, things are a lot different than they were in 1994, or even. So wait and see what happens because things are happening. And my friend is in, in a big show in DC, and she's this world. So yeah, things are changing. Definitely. Uh, my. Uh... My sibling, my sister, she's five years older than I am. She was born yeah. in 19, 1983. She, um, she went to school for uh, drama and theater education uh, in Southern Ontario, uh, like 15, 17 years ago or something like that. And um, she loves performing. She's been in the theater since she was a little girl. Like uh, It's been her primary interest for years and years. She... Previous to that, she uh, had a job at a, a historical park, like a uh, reenactment. So it's like, that's where you're basically acting all day. Like your life is a three-dimensional stage. What? And uh, so, yeah. And she was definitely dissuaded repeatedly by my parents who are otherwise incredibly supportive people. I think, you know, much like, much like your parents, it sounds like. Um, and so like, I just hear a lot of her story and yours. Um, yeah. My mom is like, and my dad was as well. You know, there were ways like normal people, there were ways to like go to college, get a weird job, get married, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely living my mom's dream. And my dad definitely is in heaven, loving that his daughter's an actress. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) This also is probably such a good like i know you've it's not your first ever role but it's your first like feature film yeah that's- and it's it's such a good way to get started because it, it's it really the atmosphere like jamie was saying is is so relaxed it almost feels like you are at camp and they're just filming it like the way it's written has this very grounded feel oh yeah yeah, did, you went to camp though, right? You said you. Yeah, I went to a different camp here in Maryland when I was a kid. But I do go back to like Sino's camps just for fun to like hang out with the people because I do have a lot of friends there now, which I'm grateful for because the Sino family is just wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. Like that, the scene at the end of the the movie where they sort of turn the camera at the the crew and everyone, it really makes it feel like a community, and oh, you yeah. can you can really feel that everyone was sort of in it, and it almost it felt like you're just kind of again like at camp the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, 
it's funny because I really hate like fourth wall moments like that. Mm-hmm. But I am, you know, you know what is so great, however, is that critics praise that moment like mad because mm-hmm. you get to see the colors and the crew of disabled people, and like you said, like it does. You can really tell. We are our community, and like, we all have been like so much fun, and we were having so much fun the whole time. And during that scene, and during that moment, you saw that there were like directors and like crew members that were physically disabled, and that adds the most the importance of not only causing disabled actors. But hiring a disabled members as well. And actually, one of the disabled crew members who was the sound mic, who has Down syndrome, she now works for Disney. Oh, shit. So that's incredible. I'm like, 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 she, like, I'm like, I love like her. And I'm like, really do it for her. So that movie. Like, you know, look at her now. She was the boom mic. And now she's like on Disney Plus, on Disney's channel. Oh, nice. So you can, so you never know what happens. And that just got, and our movie just got started with a conversation. So I'm really glad it's happening. Man, that's the, like so reassuring. Well, were you not on set when you got, you got accepted into the Disney College program. Oh my god! Yeah, I was. Yeah, funny story. So th- that day was actually our off day, so we just chilled out on uh, on um campus for the day. I just finished like breakfast, and everybody was going out on their own dinner and stuff. So, you know, I just had breakfast. I hold my friend's baby. I got back to my cabin. I turned on the phone, literally, don't be hard. Here it was. I got in and I went like, but shit insane. <laughs> but, you know, I've been waiting for that moment we got Disney World for my whole life. And, you know, I was supposed to go to college, but then my father got. The cancer. And actually, when I, when I got the movie, my dad died of the cancer two months prior to the movie. So I literally believed the movie was a gift of my father saying, hey, sorry for being like really hard on your acting career dreams. Here you go. And, you know, and my dad really wanted me to go to Disney World. And then my, my dad loved, loved, loved Disney. So I think it was, so me getting to the program was definitely a gift for my father. So, you know, I told everybody during dinner that night because everybody was like, oh, doing their own things. Like, I mean, I was with my friends and had ice cream, even went swimming and so forth. So I told everybody during dinner. So, yeah. And now going back to grad school. I write to another big industry with Disney as my dream place. So I really need your, like, if you're a Christian, perhaps, if not a Christian, just good energy because 
you know, what happened to Bosnia happened again. And and the Disney World was the beginning of my dream working at Disney. And now I could even move on now up with, with my acting and my disability career through grad school. And especially if I returned to Disney during an internship because of my grad school. So sharing the news with about Disney was the most special moment ever. And that's actually in the documentary of Best Summer Ever. So I'm really glad that we got to see our peak of that. So, yeah. I mean, I fully support, I know how badly you want to be the first disabled voice of a Disney princess. (laughs) I'm really excited for that to happen for you. That would be so cool. You know what? Did any you know, they had just had two more princesses this year? Why uh, earlier this year? Yeah. And now Maribel in in Kanto, which I'm seeing tonight or tomorrow. And mom hasn't decided yet, but it's literally might really be the first the first Disney princess lost this April. That's gonna all I want in my life, like. It seems like it's inevitable at this point, right? Yeah, honestly, I think you're going to have to shoot higher than that because you're going to get this dream. <laughs> and, mean, then, and then you're going to have to think of a bigger dream. If I get the industry with Disney Animation, oh, but yeah, I'm going to shoot at Disney Animation, spoiler alert. So if I get that, I could probably meet the casting director of the movie. Yeah. You know, meet them formally, meet Jennifer Lee, and meet. But I would love to be a writer there anyway. So you know what? Right. How do you say connections and treating everybody with the kindness, not to use them, but to treat them uh, like friends. Yeah. And, and if they decide to like, give you this thing, then yeah, it's up to them and not up to you. So you, you don't have to use them. Not a big thing, but you know, if I, can, if I know them, if I make connections with them, it could happen. At, at this point, if I got a movie on Hulu, anything could happen, which is oh, yeah. insane. It, it's cool that you, you know, you're so early in your career, but you've already shattered so many glass ceilings. For sure. Oh, right. And yeah. you're just going to like, you're going to get the Disney princess gig and then that ceiling shattered. That's going to be so sweet. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> oh no, I'm watching one of my favorite princesses, and I have her as a photo, <laughs> and it's and it's on my desk, and I have a lot more stuff in my room. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you. What did you already do your your Disney College program? I did in 2018. I took one college class. And you, you know, it's like, does it matter if you're in really doing a degree? If you get, if you're doing a class, that's all that matters. So I did a theater class and I got in and I did it in 2018. And I just love it. I loved yeah. it. It was everything I hope it would be and much more. And it was just the, I was a bus greeter at my dad's favorite hotel. So to like do that for my father, like my dad who had been beside himself in happiness to work at his hotel. And it was like so much fun. I got to like hug the people. I got to give them bus pass. I 
has to be like entertaining the crowds when the bus is like going crazy and being stuck in traffic. It was just so wonderful. And, you know, I decided if I think that's not like go up for me, I might just go back and move to Disney World for sure <laughs> and not leave it and just work there and see what happens in life. I'm a Catholic. I'm a believer of God. So my belief is I'm just on God's ride and I'm I'm going wherever God wants to take me, me, you know. And if that's Disney World, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. God says go with the mouse. <laughs> but yeah. the big castle in the sky and the big castle down here. <laughs> Disney is such a magical place too and it's one of the most inclusive places to be when, with for people with disabilities. It's and incredible. Even as an adult, it's such yeah. a good place to go. Not like I still love Disney as an adult, but um, the the atmosphere and how inclusive it is. Oh like, yeah. Taking a Disney cruise versus any other cruise, you're already miles ahead in accessibility. And then going to Disney World versus any other amusement park, same thing. I uh, in 2006 I went to uh, Disney World in Florida, and there there was a cruise component to that as well. And I traveled with yeah. my my parents and my my sister, and so we were both in manual chairs at the time. And you know, it's not really an easy feat to travel with two disabled people. Oh um, yeah, without attendance, right? So uh, my parents are quite used to like a lot of like the, the logistical burden of travel. And when we went on this uh, Disney vacation, like they were beside themselves because they had all this free time and <laughs> didn't have to make all these considerations for yeah how we get to places. Or I, I, there was a point where I literally got stuck at the top of the Epcot ball in the middle of one of their like exhibits. And oh you God. would think you would think that would be a nightmare, but it was actually fascinating because we got to see like the inner workings of the ride and they. Yeah. Um, like I, a, f- a fleet of Disney staff came up the stairs, like with a with a, a special lift, and they like attached me to the thing. And it, you know, it took about twenty minutes, but it was such a spectacle that I didn't care. That is so <laughs> yeah, it felt like it felt like a privilege in some sense. Of course, my sister and mom were concerned because they saw a bunch of staff like rushing toward the Epcot <laughs> ball. But uh, my dad and I had a, f- a great time. Actually, when I was in the college program, you you guys are like entered to a free lottery. Like whoever wins gets is like see behind the scenes of pirates or Tower of Terror or Hunter Manson. And and I was in the theater class, but got to see the behind the scenes of like Hyrule Studios theme park. Um, so fantastic. I got to see the dragon. I got to see the costumes. I got to see like Mickey Mouse head and everything. So things like that are really good. Like, yeah. it's just oh, my favorite, like one of my favorite Disney rides. So the fact you got to see behind the scenes at that really big place is so cool. It would be such a cool place to work too. Oh yeah, I would love to work like for a while, actually. <laughs> that's my mom everyone <laughs> she made an appearance last time too I keep trying to get her to come on as a guest and she oh my god I was doing a Facebook live at my work 
And one time, my mom walked in, like, behind me to bring out some, like, to bring out some papers. So, Bobby, you're talking, here's my mom in pajamas, like, bring <laughs> the Brando. And I'm like... <laughs> Thanks, mom. This is live on Facebook. It's not yeah. like... You like it's not like like your mom like in the background like in a podcast, but you literally saw my mom on Facebook, so it's like, oh no. <laughs> I I I feel like I need to go back to Disney after this conversation. Yeah, we I haven't a been trip. In, so let's do it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's the fiftieth anniversary right now. Really, my mom and I are my mom and my sisters and I are going. Are trying to go back next summer. To enjoy the celebration. I was actually supposed to go on the very day to 50, but COVID was going back up. And with my conservatory closed the next day, I just couldn't get anyone sick. So it was sad, I couldn't go. But at the thing in the crowds at like 6.30 a.m., I was like, yeah, I'm lucky I didn't go there. The world cannot start before 8 a.m. for me. No. In my mind, it's like Toy Story, where, like, as soon as I fall asleep, the world just pauses, and nothing starts moving until 8 a.m., because I just don't want to admit that I could be more productive. Right. I'm only up in the book for a.m., only if I'm going to New York to see a Broadway show. I had to travel to the bus station because I didn't fall away from Baltimore now. Right. Other than that, I'm in bed at like 8 a.m. besides physical therapy and work and stuff. Where where do you where do you work? Um well I just left my job. I left my job just now, so, mm. so I don't so I don't work anymore. But I used to be a um uh, communications fellow for the DC uh, Environmental Disabilities Council. So, so that was so that was a nice job. I and so that I had with them. You left to focus on school, I assume. Yeah, that, yeah, that was why. Plus, mm. I don't have surgery anyway, so it's like. I might as well like leave before the war gets too bad and I, I get behind to do surgery and good and stuff. Do you mind if I ask about about the surgery? Is like it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No problem. I'm I'm assuming it's like orthopedic in nature. Yeah, it's more surgery for my hand. Okay. And I, I was doing this year to like loosen my thumb and take away some like like nerves, but now this is gonna be like fixing the swan finger, the swan fingers, and to like loosen the muscle, like to like straighten more the hand. So it's like a several parts to it, and things like that. Yeah, okay, okay. It's because you got sense. your hand slammed in the door by Moo Moo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my hand is from the movie, you guys. <laughs> it's so bad. Anyway, hand go crooked for life. <laughs> you were wearing an actual cast after that. Yeah, they, they, oh, what they did was they took my old hand brace. Oh, okay. 
Okay, so I have a potentially stupid question for you. Are you looking forward to the surgery? Well, I see how my surgery did like nothing for me. No, but they're like, we like you have to do it. You have to do it. We are like, okay, fine, whatever. So, so we're doing this to like you know make my doctor, my therapist happy. So it's like, okay. So you don't think you're going to get any more function out of it? Um, well, let's see what happens. But my guess is really probably not. Yeah. My mind is the way it is. So I feel, I feel very, I, I know exactly that dilemma and that frustration. Yeah. Um, I've had a number of surgeries throughout my life and wondered about the utility of them. <laughs> but, um, I guess it depends on my mood on any given day about whether or not I want to pursue further uh, procedures, you know, that might make my life more comfortable, but might not. And it's never a disabled person recommending this stuff. So it's always hard to decide. Right. And um, Tony, have you had any surgeries before? And and what surgeries? My biggest surgery was... I had like scoliosis, so I had to get rods put in my back. Me it's too. A, nice. It's fun, right? Oh, totally fun. Especially when they give you a new hip without telling you or your parents. Oh, oh my God. There's like, we didn't like your old one, so we gave you one. Exactly what it was. <laughs> Did they do that to you, Tony? No, I didn't get a new hip. Uh, I just got the rods put in, and it was a it was a huge surgery. Like I remember, it took like a full day. The recovery was months and months, partially because I had some complications after, like my lung collapsed, and I was just it, yeah, it wasn't good. Um, but it was oh my god, it was it's the same surgery that Jamie's kind of been deciding whether he should get or not and it's hard because i'm always like you should get it it's really good but then the stories i tell of me getting it are just like you should get it it's really good when i had it my lung collapsed and i hated it so much it's (laughs) the most painful thing i ever went through why did you why did you like lung collapse well i think what happened was my scoliosis was so bad at the time that it was basically crushing one of my lungs like my spine was crushing one of my lungs so then it was never used to being inflated properly oh wow so then they straightened out my spine my lung was able to fill up again but it was just so weak that it really didn't know how to stay open so then it collapsed because it just was bad at being a lung (laughs) <laughs> under oh underutilized God. yeah so so that happened that's crazy <laughs> it was it was worse than actual surgery like i remember the surgery itself was super painful um i i asked them to remove the the rods right after because i was like i don't want to go through this um but then when my lung collapsed that was just like terrifying like it was no. terrifying because no. yeah it's it's an indescribable feeling where you you just feel like you're suffocating from the inside i don't know but anyway they they it was only probably like 
20 minutes of terror and then they Please filled it back us. up and I was on a ventilator for a while and I was good to go. Like for me, the vodka did not hurt at all. It oh, was really? It was the new hairball they gave me. It was one of the most painful things in the world. Because this fucking hair was like growing while you're sitting up and you're like eating, but you, can, you don't have an appetite because of your new hair. It's like growing and sweetening. I was like screaming and crying every night because uh-huh. of your hair. And, but, the part that your love, long collapse is like busted insane. I'm so sorry. Well, it sounds like you had it worse, honestly. I wonder if they gave you the hip to make it be like, look, the back surgery is not that bad. As <laughs> a distraction. Probably distracted you with the super painful hip replacement. I had it bad. You were fucking suffocating. <laughs> It was only a few minutes. I was fine. For 20 minutes. I can tell you I was much better. I was like much, much better than you were if you were literally suffocated. And I'm just so glad you're okay now. Oh, yeah. I'm fine. And honestly, like I've been so much healthier ever since having that surgery, which is why I always tell Jamie it's probably good. But also, it's a torture surgery like yeah you can't you can't really sugarcoat how painful it is but once you're done it's chill i would say <laughs> i would say jamie uh-huh. honestly do it because you know your body is different than mine and tony's like like who knows if you get like a hip suit a new hip Without your consent of you, your parents, or if you don't fucking collapse, <laughs> like Tony, but literally just do it and see what happens because yeah. who knows? It seems like the like the net result will be positive, obviously, yeah. and my overall comfort level. I think I think people sort of chronically underestimate the impact of chronic pain, and so. Yeah, I may not understand how grumpy I am <laughs> until I get like until I get my spine fused. Well, also, like I got the surgery more than ten years ago, uh-huh. way more than ten years ago, and now I know people who are younger than me getting that kind of surgery, and they're just better at doing the surgery now. Yeah, that's that's true too, right? I'm much better, yeah, because my like. My curve was like pretty bad, and I was like almost like a hunchback. Yeah. And so they were, they actually said, if I don't do it soon, it will go to my lungs, and I my lungs will probably collapse and so forth. So, so I'm feeling much better, and my lungs are in one piece, and I can like my. So I just have system is actually much better from the surgery. So definitely do it. And actually, I I say um if it wasn't my fear of pain in needles, I would probably get like a tattoo on my spine of where I was. Mm. To make it like beautiful to make a statement. 
Yeah. But I'm afraid of needles and foot <laughs> pain, so I really can't do it. <laughs> and Disney has a rule against tattoos. Don't oh, actually, they? they're gone now. Yeah, oh, they really? are. Like, yeah, they are like much more like like inclusive oh, now to different cultures and to different sexualities. So tattoos, like they don't care at all. As long as, as, as if it's not like a naked person or like so, something like lewd, a tattoo of like Mickey Mouse getting murdered. <laughs> Why? Like, as long as it's not done, they don't care whatsoever. Oh, as I would have gotten like a wrist tattoo of the glass level. By the way, I'm cut because of my nest, not because I'm cutting myself. <laughs> so, do not worry. I'm not a like, cutter at all. It's just my stupid nest are going crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm cutting a wrist tattoo on the glass level. Oh, that looks really but, uh, painful to get it there. It, yeah, exactly. So, it's like, yeah, I don't want to like. For myself. So, tell us about your acting conservatory. So, my conservatory in D.C. is called the Honors Acting Conservatory at the Cedar Lab in D.C. So, it's, it's a one-year, like, quad master's degree, like, program where you, like, do, like, intensive acting for one year. So you do, like, multiple scenes. Like, you stay between actors, and you do, like, a scene while you're learning how to sing or stage combat or whatever. So right now, so it's, like, very, very, like, rigorous, very, like, intense program and like this like this for example i was doing my i was studying to do my final project my final play while doing like three other scenes with three other people while doing like stage readings so it's like very hands-on very time consuming program acting boot camp Exactly what it was. But I really did love it because I thought I wanted more of my acting than ever. And like I said, a casting director from DC was in my show last week. So I got so I got to like give her my Westman headshot. And coming up is my showcase for the theaters in DC. And family and friends. So, actually, because you're in a conservatory, we have a leg up against the other actors in DC because we got to meet the other, like the big leaders in the DC theater industry. And we are only performing for them. So, they know who we are because of the conservatory. Oh man, that's so awesome. So yeah, like opportunities abound. That's so cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And actually, and actually, you know, DC is the third biggest in the theater industry in America. It's like New York, 
Chicago in, in D.C. Oh. Yeah, actually, a recent alumni, like within a year of the conservatory, she got a major award for her acting in D.C. So the conservatory really opens the doors for you. And actually, how I got in is, you know, people are doing it in the conservatory. I did, like, no more classes. There's been an actress. And I thought it was what to I understand for it, but I was like, they're not, they're not gonna take me, they're not, not gonna take me. <laughs> but then the day before the deadline, the director of the consultory was like, hey, so we only do this like three people a year, but we want to invite you to to a disembodied conservatory because the teacher says you're amazing. So I was like, well, I ordered the five, three people who were invited to a disembodied, and I tried out like two weeks later, and I got in. I was one out of 10 people out of like the 20 people who didn't even got in. So that was like the biggest surprise ever. Wow, that's so amazing. Yeah, I, I, was, like, I was like staring at my laptop like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, man. What? <laughs> like, I, like, I didn't know they were like serious or not. Like, I was like, are you serious about me? Like, I always get no's. It was the biggest shock ever that I got in. And I'm very like grateful, you know, that that I'm in because it it was like no matter how like frustrating how hard it is, it did a lot for me. So I'm very very happy I did it. Not only is it super cool that like you're breaking all of these glass ceilings personally, but yeah. it's also really cool that more and more groups and like companies and bigger industries are also exactly. changing the way they look at like disability and inclusion. Yeah, like I told you, my friend, you know, who's a little person who's a dove, she's in she's in Shakespeare little companies production of our town with my teacher. And she's been little companies one of the biggest Shakespeare companies in America. So the fact that she got in and now they invite me to audition for them next year is incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so awesome to see that things are moving for you and for the industry. And, yeah. and uh, actually, yeah. yeah, and actually, I just booked a, like, my first in Dazzy World. So it's my first training video. So I'm so I'm gonna be in a training video for a company I've had to work with this April people. So I'm gonna do that next month. So I'm very excited that that like and my friend Rich Richie who has autism is gonna be in it in it too. So I'm very excited that I got another opportunity. And earlier this year, I was in a natural commercial. So I am very, very blessed that things are slowly happening for me. Well, they're all happening because times are changing for disabled actors. So, yeah, I am very blessed. 
it seems like if we talk to you again in six months time, you're going to have achieved like eight more milestones in your career. (laughs) You know, like it's so cool. I just want, I just want a Tony. I made her some hanks. <laughs> I made some hanks, baby. <laughs> like that in six months on you right now. I like that you know already what all your goals are. Oh, but Hanks, baby is a great goal. Yeah. <laughs> you can smell it. Yeah. How does that go? That is totally going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm really cranking. Hank's homewrecker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, but really, guys, do not make marriages. That's awful. <laughs> That's true. And also, I feel like we should say, after all that surgery discussion, that, like, don't take medical advice from us when we're like, you know, well, you should get the surgery. Like, don't listen to us. Yeah, you, you're talking about me specifically. Well, just you and everyone else. Okay, okay. Like, yeah. Don't don't wreck people's homes and don't take medical advice from us. And don't get <laughs> tattoos on your back because <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love when this podcast ends in wisdom. <laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> uh, Emily, I know that you said you have like. Uh, time commitment so i don't want to keep you too much longer i'm loving this conversation same here thank you so much for for coming on and chatting with us it's been it's honestly super super fun to talk to you no thank you for having me that having me and nobody you, you guys need to like add me on facebook or twitter because we gotta like keep this going because you guys are so awesome yeah, we'll definitely, we definitely need to stay connected. Hopefully we'll have you on again soon. And yes. you can, you know, show us Tom Hanks' baby. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, tell us the name of the Disney princess that you're going to voice act. God, I wish, I hope. Do not do that for me. I really want that. <laughs> I'm manifesting it. We're manifesting Manifesting. Yeah. It's it's totally inevitable at this point. Yeah. I'm like saying the worst way. I mean, not as, like, like I'm like praying to God, like, please, I don't care what happens. <laughs> Just give me a husband. Give me kids. <laughs> make me a Disney princess. That's <laughs> all I want. Other than that, I do whatever you want for me to do in life. I feel like God is going to listen just because he's like so used to all the same requests. But he probably doesn't get, I want to voice the first disabled Disney princess very often. So it gives him like a fun project to work on. I, yeah, I'm so, I'm so that my, my dad is doing goodness in heaven with Jesus. I'm so that it's okay. I'm something with God out there. Yeah, he's probably pulling some strings. Oh, yeah. My dad has helped us a lot in life, in heaven. Angels are a lot more active than you think. And that is definitely a very good angel. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I can't wait to talk to you again because I really don't want the conversation to end. I know. But where, where can people reach you? Where can they follow you? Yeah, follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, and Instagram. It's just Emily Quinkin. That's it, Emily Quinkin. Amazing. Okay. Well, that's it for 
this episode. Yeah. I'm, again, I just can't thank you enough. I had such a thank good time. Thank you. Yeah. Same here, Emily. Uh, thank you for doing this with us. It's been of a course, wonderful conversation. Anytime. Super fun. The next time that, that, that we do a podcast, we should honestly watch a movie and like mm-hmm. react to it. Definitely. Yeah. I would love like, to do that with like you. Watching. I would love that. I would love that. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. If you think of a movie you want to watch, let us know. Or if uh, if anyone listening thinks of a movie they want us to watch together, let us know. And yeah, that would be a, that would be such a good episode. Yeah, even if it's like Emily's favorite Disney movie or something, I'd yeah. be down for that. Oh my, oh my god, yeah, Coco, yes, Coco, it is. I love to like sit watch things and our people like watching movies because <laughs> this is always so much fun when we were going crazy about movies. Yeah. Okay, so I'll see you guys soon, okay? Okay. Take care, Emily. Take Bye, care. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.